fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another... That was not intentional. I was just trying to test my mic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And we are drinking and talking about books today, specifically like heroes. So like what makes a good hero? What are some characteristics that you see in your favorite heroes? And then I, I wrote down my favorite heroes. I don't know if you did that, but... I, I have something similar. It's it's not quite my favorite heroes, but a similar topic. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I, I I'm excited to see what that is. But before we get into that, let's let's uh, let's talk about what's on our flight. So, Dalton, what are you drinking tonight? Tonight is a um is a bit of a celebration. So I'm drinking my celebration bourbon. So tonight is our our tenth episode that we will release because this is episode number eight, and we have two bonus episodes. And so I have a bottle um, that you gave to me actually when I graduated college. Um, and not, and so I've always used that as my like celebration bourbon. Anytime there's like a big like life event or something like that, I use this, I drink from this bottle. So it's kind of a special occasion for me. And so, and that was like four years ago. So I don't know. If I'm still surprised that, that you have that. That's insane. Yeah. That you still I have say, that one, bottle. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's down to, you know, there's probably like a couple left in there. Um, but one, one reason why I have so much of it left is it is, uh, it's Booker's and this is bottled by Jim Bean. Uh, Booker No was... Um, I believe the third master distiller for Jim Bean. I know he's Jim Bean's grandson, at least. And so this is a a series that was sort of released in his honor. Um, and you can find it. it comes in this like really cool like wood box usually. And so I actually I like, kept that wood box. I like, dropped my keys in it and that sort of thing. Um, but it's bottled at about sixty four percent, so like a hundred like hundred and twenty eight proof. Um, so that's why I have so much of it left. So <laughs> typically when I drink, so towards the end of this episode, it'll be you'll start <laughs> yeah. slurring a little bit, won't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, usually when I drink it, um, and it's kind of recommended for uh, really anything that's bottled at cask strength like this, that you water it back a little bit with some distilled water or some filtered water or something like that. Um, so that means that like, you know, Coke? a shot be kind of, I'm sorry? Like, or Coke. Or <laughs> Coca-Cola. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I hate I hate when like, I think you're seriously commenting, you know, like. Like and I'm like I'm like oh he said something I should like wait and listen for like what he said and then you just come up with this crap. <laughs> probably about eighty percent of the comments I have are not legit comments. So you can probably ignore me about that many times. Yeah, and of course I don't use Coke. I use like you know diet RC cola if I'm gonna water back my my bourbons because <laughs> there's less brand. taste, so you can actually taste. That's right. Bourbon. That That's makes right. a lot of sense. That's you're right. you you are a smart man. You are a That's smart right. man. That's why I record a podcast. <laughs> But anyway, um, you so you you it's cast strength, so you water it back. So you take it from sixty four percent and kind of manually dilute it. Um, so that means like a shot becomes like a shot and a half kind of thing. Um, so the bottle kind of like lasts a little longer. So usually I'm I'm more comfortable spending a little bit more on a bottle that's that's bottled at cask strength like that um, because I know it's going to last a little bit longer. Sorry, dumb question. When you water it back, do you specifically do that with like water, or do you do it with ice and like let the ice melt, or how how does that work? Is it literally just like from the tap? run it and go yeah that's no that's actually a really good question so so i have a jigger which i use for uh, measurements and so i'll measure out like an ounce and a half of the whiskey and then i'll measure out three quarters of an ounce of uh water that'll either get out of like my fridge which is filtered or i have like a jug of distilled water and sometimes i'll use that too so that's the way that i prefer it and that's because i like it warm um but 
you could you could absolutely like take a, an ice cube and throw it in there and just kind of like let it melt a little bit and then it would kind of um, the nice thing about when you do that is like first of all it's going to be cold so if you prefer cold obviously like that's one reason um, but then also it will it sort of like stretches it because as an ice cube melts it will start out concentrated and you'll kind of drink it slowly and then and then it'll melt more and then it's sort of like as you're as it's melting more obviously you're getting more and more liquid as the water kind of seeps in and so you're able to kind of like stretch it towards the end obviously it's going to be like a little watery in like a normal bourbon but in something this strong you like it probably won't feel that way it'll probably still feel like a normal bourbon so a lot yeah a lot of people do drink it that way but yeah this is probably i would say probably top three um whiskeys for me i really like bookers a lot it is it's very complex it's got like a lot going on it's sort of spice it has some spice in it it's sort of spicy peppery um a little bit of oakiness to it um it's unfiltered and so it's like really dark in color and it also kind of brings out more of that oak cask that you get from bourbon even at it's like really high proof, even when I sip it, I, I sort of feel it like fill me, but it's not actually like burning entirely. And unless you like stick your nose in it and really just give it a good strong sniff, then it'll hurt. Um, but um, when I even like, even if I don't water it down, if I just take a really small sip, it's still like, it's a lot smoother than you would expect. Um, so I, I really, I very highly recommend it. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking a local brew uh, tonight. So because of the quarantine, there's been a lot of uh, like local businesses trying to get creative on how to make sure that they stay afloat. I mean, there there are some of those loans that are being provided, but you know, they they need to make money somehow. And like a brewery uh, was not able to have people in inside, and so what they did is it's called Wooden Bear Brewery. It's right downtown. It's about five minutes from my house. But what they do, you drive up, you call like the a number on that they have big like big puffy paint letters on their uh, on their windows. And they they come out and they will do a growler fill for ten dollars for you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that's awesome. The growler, yeah. So the growlers initially were five bucks, and then every refill is ten dollars. And so we've been trying to support them because they're local, and we like to support the local, the local breweries and game stores and everything. So uh, sure. tonight I am drinking. That, uh, gotta spend that stimulus money at the on the local. Yeah. Business. Oh yeah. We 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 have a spreadsheet on where the stimulus money is going to local businesses. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a nerd. I love that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I love that. So, and, and a growler is like what? Four beers? Something like that? It's 64 ounces. Okay, so yeah. And, so four 16-ounce well, drinks, yeah. Yeah, so I, I will say that the, the the brewery, I think I mentioned it, is Wooden Bear. They There's a fill line on the growler that says 64, and they just completely ignore that. They fill it all the way to the top. So... You, we actually get about four and a half beers out out of what their growler fills are. They they have a handy nice. heavy hand when they pour. That's good, and and that but, keeps like it from getting flatter. You know, spilled all yeah. over the top. So that's really nice. They're super super chill there, and it, it's it's just really cool. It's been fun interacting with them, and like they kind of recognize me now, which is probably not the greatest thing. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that's you know, good. whatever. You. One one last thing about them is their growler. So it, a growler is, you know, a big can, and on the on the back because it's wooden bear, it says "Get your growl on." I thought that nice, was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love those types of puns. But anyways, getting down to actually what I am drinking is I'm drinking a, a beer from them called Pensy Trail, and it's an APA, which is an American Pale Ale, which is a little bit less hoppy than like an IPA, which is kind of where I like to live. Uh, I like the like I think I've said it before. I like it to hurt when I drink it. But the the APA is a little bit, a little bit lighter. This one actually is more akin to an IPA. The the traits of an IPA is typically higher alcohol volume, and uh, a little bit hoppier, or like a little bit. I don't even know how to describe hoppy. Like, 
How do you describe <laughs> the hoppy taste to somebody? I, I don't know. but It's sort of like the so old that... chew taste, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's just someone who doesn't like IPAs. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> but yeah, the like the right. like flowery part, the grainy part. Yeah. And so they, they originally did that. IPAs were India pale ales where they were shipped to India. And so they had to put more hops in order to preserve it on the long sea sea voyage, which is why, you know, it, it has more alcohol and more, more, more hoppy flavors is because of that long sea voyage. But the APA, which is the American pale ale, uh, kind of doesn't need that. And so it's less hoppy, typically less hoppy and like less alcohol volume. But this one is actually pretty heavy. I mean, it's a 6.9% ABV. So it, it's pretty heavy and it actually like, it feels peppery. <laughs> okay. I don't, that, that may be another way to describe the, like the hops. Like it, it is very much akin to an IPA. Like if you were to have me blind, like taste test it, I would probably say it would be an IPA. I, I'm really liking it. Every single time that we have been, we've gone probably about three times now to get our two growlers filled. One of them has always been this Pinsy Trail. It, it's a okay. quickly a fan favorite, quickly a fan yeah. favorite. So. I really like APAs as a, they're like one of my like yard, go-to like yard work beers, you know, typically just because they have that like, they're like a little crisper sometimes. And it's like, I'm getting a little bit of like the hoppiness, which I'm like, they're also like my baby steps into like enjoying IPAs. You know? like <laughs> we'll myself. get you there. Yeah, exactly. Trying to train myself kind of thing. So yeah, hopefully I get to try it soon. I think I, it sounds like something I'd really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Once this whole thing lifts up. So one last thing I want to talk about is the, the Pincy Trail is actually, there's a it's about a 5.5 mile walking trail that starts like right next to my house, goes east to west, and it goes like through downtown. And so there, there was a trail right next to the college and where we lived. And so this is very akin to that. You know, it's the Midwest trail that every town seems to have. It's called yeah. the Pincy Trail. So they named the beer after the trail, which I thought was pretty cool. That is really cool. I like that. We've kind of talked about our fights. So what we like to do is jump into kind of what's been going on in, you know, the worlds of fantasy. And uh, I'm going to be honest, there's not a lot going on in my my fantasy realm tonight or in the last couple months. My, you know, my commute is when I would listen to books and now I don't have a commute. So I'm not really listening to a lot of books, playing a lot more board games, though. And so mine mine are going to be a little light tonight. So I'm going to let you start. (laughs) What's going on in your realm tonight? Yeah, I was thinking that exact same thing when just kind of like thinking about and prepping for this episode. And I was like, we really aren't reading anything right now for the exact reason that you listed. I'm, I'm not driving as, as much. And that's kind of when I would when I would normally listen to it. Or um, maybe if I was like doing chores at, at work that like supported me also, you know, data entry or something that also supported me, like listening to something and kind of paying attention to it or, or eating lunch or whatever. And you're right, like all those things are gone. So, but I have been, uh, I recently finished a book called The Rosie Project. Um, and this is a book that was gifted to me for Christmas and recommended by my uncle. And it's not it's not quite fantasy. It's not sci-fi. It's a it's a it's a slice of life. Basically, actually, it's basically a rom-com, but it's very it's very much like tailored for nerds. And so it's like a like the nerds rom-com. And so the main character, um, he's on the autism spectrum, and so he and it's told from uh, from first person. Um, so you're getting his like internal monologue, and so the, the narrator gets to kind of like showcase what. Um, and he's a, he's very high functioning. He's like closer to like Asperger's than than fully autistic. But the narrators or the authors getting to sort of showcase that, which is really cool. 
um, to kind of like step into that mind and step into that world a little bit. And the main character is, he's a neurologist, I think, if I remember right. Oh, no, 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 no. He's, um, he's basically like one of the people that studies DNA, whatever like the actual job for that would be. And he's, he's like looking for his perfect wife. And so he writes this like questionnaire and he's like going around. It's like a 60 or 90 like question questionnaire that he thinks will like identify his perfect like wife candidate for him. And it's about him like going around interviewing people and then how that like kind of breaks down. Um, and he like, and he like, of course, meets a girl and it's a rom-com from there. Um, but sort of like those like social situations is what makes it funny. And I honestly, I really enjoyed this book. And when I picked it up, I, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this because I'm not usually reading things that are like romances, you know. Um, but it was like very light on the romance, very like heavy on like the humor and very, and when I say like light on the romance, like that is the main driving of the plot line. But it also isn't like there's not like a bunch of like love scenes, you know, where they're like being really gooey with each other or something like that. Um, so I think I picked that book up and finished it in like four days. Um, Bill Gates recommended it too. He like says something similar where he finished it in like a couple of days after picking it up. Um, so very short, but like really enjoyable. I, I, I worked through it really quickly and I enjoyed it quite a lot. That's awesome. Who was, what was that book called? It's called The Rosie Project. And I think I'm going to like butcher this name. Graeme Simsian? Simpson. I'm not sure actually how to say it because it's like G-R-A-E-M-E. And I don't know in my American how that works out. <laughs> but it's not he I'm says sure an he's Australian author. So. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that we are just like butchering that. So that's what that's what I've been reading. What are, what's up with you? Instead of what I'm reading, it's gonna be kind of what I'm watching. I've started uh the Clone Wars. So Star Wars the Clone Wars. Oh nice. Tell me about that. So, I haven't like I haven't really seen anything or I've like seen screenshots of the show, but I've never like watched it. It's an animated series that kind of takes place between episode two and episode three, and it's following like anakin and ahsoka which is his like padawan so ahsoka she's the red-skinned alien looking mm-hmm. person that you may have seen so that's his padawan so it's following him and her as well as obi-wan and it's kind of like it's a lot of like short stories with like uh, an overarching story but it is a children's show so it's a lot of like these short 22 minute long episodes that kind of you know they're like snapshots of like <clears throat> they always do kind of like the scroll at the beginning but it's like a it's not a scroll. It's like a narrator kind of setting up the backstory. Gotcha. And each episode is kind of, you know, Padme is there as well sometimes. And so it's like, you know, diplomatic dealings. And it's pretty much like Anakin's like training under Obi-Wan and then also him training Ahsoka, which is, you know, his Padawan. So it's it's really cool because Ahsoka is kind of like this rebellious person, kind of like Anakin is. And so like, I don't know what made that pairing go or, or why why the Jedi Council decided to pair them together because... Yeah, they, they'll they uh, call definitely each other play down. off of each other. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> I, I'm about a season in, and it, it it is really good. I I'm enjoying it a lot. It's you know it's fast paced, but there is that overarching story. And Disney Plus just released the final season of that, which is kind of why I I started it, um, so I could actually finish it. And I've heard the final oh, cool. season is really really good. So okay, good. Yeah, because I remember I like I had gotten in. I I think I think I had started like what i'd wanted to watch it at one time it just like couldn't really get access to it like i couldn't find it but i didn't realize it was on disney plus now so that's really good to know yep yep so it's on disney plus i recommend that so one last yeah. thing that i wanted to talk about which was kind of cool i don't know if you've actually heard of this because i have not reached out to you because i wanted to talk to you about it on, on okay. the podcast uh susan collins who is the writer of the hunger games announced that mm-hmm. a uh she's writing a prequel uh to the hunger games oh very cool yep so the it's called the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and what it is is it's it follows the story of an 18 year old mentor, and he's mentoring a girl from District 12, 
and it's about the tenth Hunger Games. So to okay. kind of put that in perspective, the second book of the Hunger Games, Catching Fire, is about the seventy fifth Hunger Games. So this is significantly, gotcha. significantly far into the past. But mm. what's also really cool is that it is expected to be released on May nineteenth, which is five days from the release of this episode. So it's coming really out cool. like way sooner. I I didn't I saw it on like my little Alexa. She probably heard me, so it's going off right now. But I saw it on Alexa. <laughs> like, hey, there's a Hunger Games prequel. I was like, oh, cool. And then when I was like re- doing the research for it for today's show, I was like, whoa, that comes out like next week. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in that because. I, I did really like the Hunger Games, which is a brief synopsis of the Hunger Games is that, you know, there's uh, it's a dystopian future where people have kind of been broken up into different districts. And typically the lower number of the district you are, the more wealthy you are. And every year they have the Hunger Games where they send a guy and a girl tribute from each district and they battle it out like Battle Royale style. Um, and there's one victor. And so the initial or the trilogy the the hunger games trilogy talks about kind of like um it, you know it's the feel good story of like the the underdog kind of going into that and then like the the series kind of progresses to tyranny and overthrowing the government and that kind of stuff but so it'll be kind of interesting because my favorite part about those books was the actual games and them describing like you know the the battle yeah. royale and this feels like it's going to be that but like the in the first 10 years because in the Hunger Games, they do talk about a lot of strategies and like the the quote unquote meta that's been formed uh, mm-hmm. in the in yeah, the Hunger yeah, Games, yeah. and th- this won't have it. And so that I think that I think it'll be really interesting. So that's going to be yeah. the ballad or the ballad of songs and snakes by Susan Collins. So I, I'm I'm excited for yeah. that. I'm going to use one of the Audible credits on that one and probably actually listen for to sure, it. for sure. And I think we've talked about before how I would say we both, but you specifically, really enjoy prequels over like a sequel. Like if you're going to, if, if an author's going to put something out, like please put out a prequel. And it's, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one is that, okay, going into this Hunger Games prequel, it's like, now I will know that the government isn't overthrown. That That's a constraint put on the author because you know that 75 years later or 65 years later or whatever, the, the government still exists, right? So that can't be a plot line. So now how do you make, um, it, it was the same in like some of the Star Wars, like prequels that are like coming out now, right? Like the ones like Solo, um, and rebels and like and like those where it's like okay this is fitting within a very specific time period so it has to like match the the beginning and the end that the time period that, that is already established in canon um, so it's like a very tricky writing um, but it can lead to like just some really fulfilling like oh that's how they're going to do that and like that's how that connects and like as a as a listener or a reader or a watcher you're like oh man that was really cool so i'm excited too i, I didn't know about this at all until until you shared it um, but I'm, and I'm also, I would say I'm, I'm with you. I'm not crazy about the hunger games to be honest, but I would say I also really liked the first book. And then like, I finished out the series and was kind of like, that was okay for me personally. It was okay. And so I, I, could I definitely see if it thought was, that the first book was strong. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely felt the first book was stronger. I also like, I don't like love triangles. That always is a big like no, no for me. So, um, that kind of turned me off from that book. So hopefully, hopefully she stays. I like the world that. building. I like the world building better than I like the story. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. in that one. So kind of hopping back because what what you what you said about the prequel providing a restraint to the the sequel or the the original trilogy, the the Clone Wars TV show, uh, and I learned about this from one of my coworkers. So uh, shout out to Jim for bringing this up because he's watching through it too. But in Revenge of the Sith, which is Episode Three, the movie, Anakin when he meets General Grievous says, "You're shorter than I expected." 
or like you're shorter than I expected. And Grievous is one of the main bad guys in the Clone Wars series. And the writers had to write the entire series around Anakin never coming face to face with Grievous because of that line. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool. So like, yeah, so they're always on different ships or they're, they're like fighting, but they're never like fighting. Like his Padawan has fought Grievous, but like he hasn't. And so I just thought that was hilarious that that like oh it's like oh yeah that that like little like i don't know comic relief in that movie had the entire yeah. seven seasons of clone wars had to be written around you know anakin <laughs> not meeting Being the main sassy. Bad guy in the series yeah yeah so i thought yeah, if obi-wan funny. hadn't passed on all of his sass to anakin then it would have been a lot <laughs> easier to write seven seasons of the clone wars ready for icebreakers yeah let's do icebreakers i mean i could use an icebreaker to this conversation i don't know if we've you know, we gotten started in a conversation yet. <laughs> yeah, so so the icebreaker, which I prepared this week. Oh, actually, so we, we put out on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and wherever you can reach us, submit an icebreaker question. And we, we won't we won't read those beforehand, uh, but we'll answer them on on the uh, on the podcast. And we did get a couple of those answers. And there was one of them that was a book or a fantasy-related question. And it comes from David, one of our college buddies, who you can find on Instagram as reamer underscore 72. And the the question is, who is the best Transformer, and why is it Bumblebee? So go. (laughs) (laughs) So Um. (laughs) I don't know know if you you remember, but while we were at Harry Potter World, Reamer texted us, Saying that he he really liked the podcast, but he thought we should take it into more like Transformers and WWE direction, and so, right. so I think that's that's, right. that, that's what that is. So this is I, him strong arming us into talking about Transformers. <laughs> I, I think so. So let <laughs> I, I'll talk about Transformers for a little bit. So my def, definitely my favorite Transformer would have to be Bumblebee because the question kind of push pushes me towards that. I just uh, real quick, I want I, you to I, name two. I want you to name two other Transformers: Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. Decepticons, <laughs> Megan Fox, Megan Fox, and, <laughs> and Shia LaBeouf, and Shia LaBeouf. Checkmate. <laughs> yeah, wow, you tri- you showed me. All right, why is it Bumblebee? <laughs> uh, I, I so actually, but for real, like I do really like how Bumblebee has to talk through the radio. I think that is a hilarious concept, and I just love watching that. I, it's, it's just so funny because like his vocal box was destroyed. And so, you know, they're Transformers. They turn into cars. And so he, he uses the car radio to communicate with people. I thought that was hilarious. That is pretty funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so I'll why is your favorite Bumblebee? Mine, um, because uh, it makes yellow a playable color. <laughs> and yellow sense. is that, typically that really the worst color <laughs> in any given, any given <laughs> canon. Okay. So, so thanks, Reamer, for, for the icebreaker question. I hope we did it justice. Let us know why your favorite Transformers Bumblebee, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so the icebreaker that I prepared for for this uh, conversation. So we're talking about heroes tonight and, uh, you know, kind of what makes a good hero and, you know, traits of heroes and everything. So we're going to dive into that. But kind of to kind of get us kickstarted, my, my icebreaker is what is your favorite weakness? So this doesn't necessarily have to be from a hero, but this could... Uh, so like there are villains that have weaknesses as well. So like what what's your co- what's the coolest weakness that you can think of? I really I really like that question um, because it gets to and you know we'll get to talking about this, but it gets to like what makes heroes interesting and that sort of thing. And we 
Um, we we hit on a similar topic in the magic systems episode, episode four, because we talk about like what makes a magic system interesting, a hard magic system interesting, and it's like what it can't do, right? Its limitations, which is kind of a similar feel. And so I think my favorite limitation or or weakness, I guess, my favorite weakness would probably be like a reluctance to hurt or a reluctance to kill, which shows up a lot. I think that's kind of a common one, but we talk about like, that's what makes Superman interesting, right? Cause he's like this God who can just do anything, but he like, he won't, he kind of won't kill people. But more, I think of that in, um, Aang, uh, the, the avatar and avatar, the last airbender, because he is in a world where lots of people can bend. They can use the magic system of bending elements. He's special in that he can bend all four elements and so he's this really like crazy powerful magic wielder bender in that in that universe. Um, but he was raised by a culture that's similar to like Tibetan monks. And so he's very he's very peace oriented. But there's like this ongoing war, and it's kind of his responsibility to stop it. So it's like, how does he fight a war without hurting people? You know, and how does he take down a warlord without? How does he take a warlord out of power without killing him? That's something that he really like struggles with over like several episodes kind of towards the end of the series we don't want to spoil like how he kind of deals with that but just it's something that is a is a a, it's shown as a weakness in that all the other a lot of other characters in there are like no you have to kill him like you're the avatar and you can do that like that's your responsibility go do that and he's like i can't that's i I just can't do that um and so he kind of has to like fight through that so that's probably i would say that's probably my favorite my favorite that's a great weakness I, i i think i thought about that one and um I did not think about Aang in that sense. I I went to Superman, which mm-hmm. was mine. But Aang, I I love that show, and it is like the my favorite like kid show, quote unquote kid show. But I also think that that almost plays into his strength at some point because there are times where he comes off as this like ten year old kid that's carefree, doesn't really you know he wouldn't hurt yeah. a fly, and then you know people take that for granted. And then he just like opens a can of whoop ass on him because he is like <laughs> the most powerful person in the world. And people just like forget that because of how yeah. gentle he is. Aang as a character is one of one of, I think, the most well-written characters in, in pretty much any fantasy. I, I really like Aang as a character. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Sokka, one of the other like supporting characters, says that at one point in like the second season where he's like, sometimes you just forget how powerful Aang is. Right. And it's, <laughs> and it's because he yeah. like he like Aang like fights a volcano in like that episode you know like that's what he's doing like by himself and everyone's like oh i forgot that he's like you know because he's 12 and he's carefree and he's goofy and he's like he's so endearing and then he fights the volcano and you're like oh my god like i forgot that that's what he's capable of so i i went to the realm of superheroes for for the answer of this one and i went to my favorite superhero which is the flash uh so it's the dc uh superhero the flash who can run really fast right and (laughs) What I think about what I think is really cool about his weakness is that his weakness is his power almost, and so like his one of his greatest nemesis is Mister Freeze, who just like reduces friction, and so he can't control his power anymore mm-hmm. because you know he needs friction to move, and so I just, I I think it's kind of it, it was just interesting. So like lack of friction is like his weakness, but yeah. it's like it's what gives him his strength, and so I just thought that that was kind of cool, and also the. Uh, in the TV show and in some of the comic books, he has a weakness of like he has this hyper metabolism where because his body process is so fast, he has to eat a lot of food or else he just like, passes out. <laughs> and I just think that's hilarious because <laughs> he'll just be like running along and just like pass out because he's burned up all the calories in his body. Yeah. So, you know, he's just sitting there just eating and eating. <laughs> and I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
let's talk about heroes. So that that was kind of, you know, the weaknesses and you touched on it a little bit that what makes a hero interesting is sometimes his weakness or her weakness. Well, one of the things that I've read is that a lot of people will refer to hero as a male or a female and heroine is strictly female. And so uh-huh. throughout this conversation, we'll, we'll probably just be calling them heroes and know that that refers to both the male and the female version of that. Um, yeah. I found a I found a, a definition that I thought was really interesting. That a hero is See, a person. I'm, I'm like who, really and, nervous about your your definitions <laughs> now. I don't know that I trust your definitions after last episode. No, I mean, and that that's fair. I mean, I lost I lost that trust a while ago. So, <laughs> but the the definition that I found is that a hero is a person who, in the face of danger, combats adversity through feats of ingenuity, courage, or strength, which pretty much sums sums it all up, right? Because a lot of a lot of people are the medical workers and the first responders and the essential workers right now. They they are heroes because they're combating this adversity. They're combating this deadly disease through courage. They they are going out and they are the reason that you know we're still progressing as an economy, as a as a as a country. Is because of those people. Those are heroes. And so I like that because you can morph that into you know the heroes that you think of, of like the firefighters and the policemen and also the superheroes. So because that 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 is kind of the the thing that I, I was kind of thinking of is like how can you like find a definition that gets both of those. And I thought that that one did yeah. it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. When, when we're talking about fantasy novels or sci-fi novels, a lot of the protagonists are not heroes. And so we we will not be using that as a synonym. Uh, the protagonist is not always the hero of the story. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that was clear before we dived into it, but yeah, I had done that same, I had done that same thing where I had like several times in, in my kind of preparation for this, I'd been thinking about like, Oh, maybe this, you know, I, I could make like an analogy here to like to like Locke from like Lies of Locke for more, and then I'm like, no, he's not a hero. Like he's a thief. Like he's, you know, he's. And so there's there's definitely and, and there's and there are distinct differences between what a protagonist is and what a hero is. I think a lot of fantasy, especially, really enjoys a hero. Right there, there will be someone yeah. in a story who's who is the hero. Sci-fi, it seems like less so, but like still exists. You know, it just it's not a hundred percent like fantasy it seems like it's really hard to get away from so we have a lot of content to draw on i would also say kind of going into this you know we it's it's important to remember like nelson and i we are engineers we're not we're not literature majors we you know we're not authors we we're we're coming into this as as hobbyists basically right we're like we we enjoy our fantasy we enjoy like talking about these these topics and and being able to do a little bit of research on them so if you hear us using terms just know that sometimes uh, we're using terms that make sense to us and may not actually be the official word for something. <laughs> so please be a little forgiving as we go, as we make our way through this. But I am, this is a topic that I've been, it's been on our list for a while to talk about and I'm, I've been looking forward to it. So I think, you know, that definition that you, that you gave us to start um, is a really good starting point for framing up like what is a hero, um, sort of what makes a hero. Um, so as I was kind of like structuring this in my mind, it was, it was helpful to come up with like just kind of a short list of, okay, what are, what are characteristics or traits um, that all heroes have, basically like the defining you know characteristics or the defining traits of a hero. Um, I thought that would be a really good place for us to start, um, talk through kind of what that what that looks like, what that kind of means to you, and draw some correlations to maybe kind of what we've already read. So that first effort, I guess, does that make sense to you? Is that a good place to start? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that place to start because that's actually where I started taking my notes. So yeah, nice. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> yeah. So the first, so let's just, I guess we'll go, let's go back and forth of just kind of naming stuff that, that, that seems to, seems to make sense to you. So for me, you talked about in your definition, kind of 
being able to complete a purpose. And I think that's one of the first primary definitions is that a hero will have a hero will have a mission. A hero will have a some sort of motivation. They have something that is driving them off of wherever they are starting, right? And this is kind of the first part of the hero cycle. You might have heard that or the hero's journey. That's like a common I remember studying that in in high school, right? Where a hero is starting from a place and they have some sort of call to adventure. They have something that sort of makes them leave wherever is safe, right? What makes Luke leave Tatooine, which is what he's known and what is safe. It's like, okay, well, there's you know, he he loses what is like safe to him, right? And that his his aunt and uncle die. But then he's also kind of shown this like larger world. He's shown this kind of like higher purpose and he kinda of wants to like pursue that, right? So that, that kind of becomes his kind of becomes his mission. I, I had that written down as, you know, they are going on a mission. And and I, I agree. And I think that's you know, heroes have times where stories are not being written about them, right? Mm-hmm. So all the fantasy and all the sci fi that we're reading have heroes or most of them have heroes that are going on missions because that's the interesting part of their life. And so, but I I always think that a hero has to, that mission has to start from a place that is good. Um, And Mm -hmm. then like your villain, villains are going on missions as well. And, but the, the villain is typically, you know, they're, they're going on revenge missions or, or they're going, they're going out to conquer something or to, they're going out to accomplish something. Maybe it's for them. Or it's for an evil purpose. I think it's kind of a cop out saying evil and villain, but but yeah, no. One of the things that I had that you know defines a hero is that in some sense or in some way they have courage. So this is not always the case. They're not the most courageous person that you've ever seen, but at some point, in order for you to be a hero, I think that you have to display courage in some sense. And so. And I found another cool quote. I, I'm on a quote kick apparently, but I so I found a a quote that says, "Courage is fear met with action." And so, mm, yeah, um, you, you can have you can be scared, and being scared does not mean that you're not a hero. It does not mean that you're not courageous. It's what are you doing when you're scared? And so I think some of like the like you were talking about Luke, right? Like he he is scared to leave what is safe, but he does it, and that's that's one of the reasons that he is a hero is because he acts on. The, or he acts on his courage. He acts when he is afraid. Uh, another really good example of this would be like Frodo, or or, or oh, like the Fellowship of the Ring. When you know you ha- oh you okay so so what you wanted me to do is you want me to take this little thing and like march into hell and 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 toss it into the volcano. That's it. That's yeah. All you want. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm three feet tall, right? Like, so <laughs> <laughs> I think heroes typically have some level of fear in them, and the courage is how do they act on that fear Frodo didn't go back to the Shire and hide the ring he he acted on that he he progressed in that courage to go forth on his mission and to take what was scary and act on it which I think is a yeah. very heroic trait to have absolutely absolutely I think courage is absolutely key and, and for two reasons because there, there are two other things that I that I had written down that, that sort of make a hero um, the first is that a hero is what we aspire to be, right? So in the story, the hero is not every not every time. A lot of times heroes make mistakes. But at the end of the story, the hero is sort of like representing what you would have wanted yourself to have done in that situation. If you're honest with yourself, you know, maybe that's not always what you would have done. But it's what you want to imagine that you would have, right? It, it gives you that feeling of like, yeah, that's that's what I want to be. That's what I want to aspire to be. And, and the hero is sort of the image of that. 
um, and, and courage really embodies that where it's like, okay, the, the hero is met with this adversity and they push through it despite their fear. Right. And then that's kind of the second part of what I wanted to touch on for, for characteristics of a hero is that a hero is relatable. It, it reminds me of the show, the boys, uh, which is a very, like, it's a very violent, very, very gory show. Can't necessarily recommend it for everyone, but if you're okay with that, it's a show that I really liked in, in that the superheroes are, they have bad, they're bad. They have bad qualities about them. And, and it's sort of framed. It, it feels almost like, um, it's sort of framed like, it looks like the justice league. Like there's like a Superman type character, and there's a Batman type character. Um, and at first, you have a lot of trouble kind of relating to the superheroes, and it's like not really clear why. And then, like later, you find out that they're like they have this like amoral behavior about them. But in the beginning, it's just really hard to like build a relationship with them, and you're like, why? Why am I? Ha- why am I struggling with with that? And that's done intentionally because a true hero it should be relatable. And one thing that makes them really relatable is fear, which is exactly what you touched on with courage, right? That like when when a, when a story allows a hero to show and feel fear especially like in an internal monologue or something and the character can kind of express that you as the reader can go oh i would have felt that way like that's relatable all of a sudden i'm on the same page as this hero and then they choose action like you like you mentioned they choose action despite the fear and that's kind of what you hope you would do um so i think yeah i had both of those down again the as they model what we aspire to be and they're relatable and i think courage is a really good way to like sort of hit on both of those sort of a tool to to accomplish both of those things and again, I've been talking about I've been talking about courage a lot, but when I was thinking about courage, it led me to a question of, and again, I was just sort of exploring like what you know what makes a hero, and so let's let's frame this up as a question for you, actually, sort of a blind question. What are some of the the moments in stories that have felt the most heroic to you? Like where you you you've like seen something happen, and you're like, and you get that rush, that like ex- those goosebumps, that excitement of like that's a hero right there. Uh, so the 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 one that comes to my mind initially is something that I was going to bring up later, but I'll, I'll think of another answer for that from my favorite hero. So my favorite hero has, I think the best heroic scene of all time. And that's Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings. When he yep. says, you know, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. And you're yes. just like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're so I, right. Like I, I, I stand up, I clap, like I like that scene, like I, I'm getting chill bumps just thinking about that scene. Because Me too, right now, right Sam- now. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um but but Sam is this uh is the is the tag along partner to Frodo Baggins in this journey that they have. And uh, I'm not gonna throw a spoiler alert into Lord of the Rings at this point because I, yeah. I we have a couple things that we're allowed to be spoiler for, right? I like yeah. Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Those are like probably the big two that we're like, we're probably going to talk about those at all. Just be aware. Star we're Wars. Probably gonna, Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. We're probably going to spoil those at some point. But so Lord of the Rings at the end, you know, Frodo kind of sneaks off from the fellowship in the, the first, in the first book. And then towards the end, you know, he's, they're progressing to Mount Doom to destroy the, the symbol of evil, which is the ring. And towards right there, towards the end, you know, he has the same, Frodo starts to have the same uh, short fallings that Isildur had, you know, 20 million years ago, or whenever the ring was forged, when Isildur was, had the chance to destroy the ring in Mount Doom. And Sam is, I think, the true hero of that story. I think we've talked about this before, where yeah, Frodo's the protagonist. Yeah. But and I believe even Tolkien came out and said that Sam is the hero of this story. 
because Absolutely. Sam is the one who stuck by Frodo. You know, he, he can't swim, but as Frodo is escaping from the fellowship, he runs out into the water to get in the canoe with Frodo, right? He will right. not let Frodo do this alone because he knows that Frodo cannot do it alone. And Sam can't touch, he, Sam knows that he can't withstand the power of the ring, but he just, I, I love Sam as a hero because he is so flawed in so many ways. And yet he's the one that actually progresses and finishes the task for Frodo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I had that at the top of my list when I had just, again, I had just thrown out a couple like moments to help me frame up like what is a hero and, and thinking through that question. And that was like right at the top of my list. It was one of the first thing that came to mind is like Sam carrying Frodo because it is, it is such a heroic moment. We've talked a little bit about um, My Hero Academia, uh, which is an anime. We, we dip into anime every now and now and then. But I think in the Magic Systems episode, we had related it to uh, the Reckoner series, uh, Steelheart, where everyone, everyone in the My Hero Academia universe has uh, like a quirk that kind of makes them special, and it can end up being a superpower or it can end up being like fairly normal. Um, and the main character is is someone who doesn't have a quirk, even though something like seventy percent or something, seventy five percent of the population does. And there's this moment, like right in one of the first episodes. So a bit of a spoiler, but again, it's, it's right in one of the one of the first episodes where one of his friends is sort of being like captured by this by this villain, and he can't escape. And there's this other sort of major hero character around who due to circumstances going on can't sort of intervene um, but the main character like runs out there and he has this like moment in his internal monologue where he's like why am I running out like I can't do anything like he doesn't have a quirk but he like runs anyway right like he sort of exits the crowd and runs to go like help his friend and you get that sort of rush of like oh like that's a hero right like that's courage. Deku has a, a super interesting character arc like throughout at least the first season he has a super interesting character arc throughout the entire show so far, but the first season I thought was really, really good because he is so devastated that he doesn't have this quirk, and it's just kind of like his story on how he deals with that, and that that's all I'm right. going to get into at the, at this point. But like that, he does have that courage because you know I I love that scene that you were just talking about. I yeah to to bring it back to Star Wars a little bit, sac- sort of the feeling of like sacrificing safety. I think of in the in the a new hope where Luke is, is being, he's on the death star, right? He's like about to try to blow up the death star and there's tie fighters on his, on his back and he doesn't, and he's all his friends are gone. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. And then all of a sudden Han comes out of nowhere, right? And blasts him away. I um, mean, it's like that iconic line and it's, it's such a good moment and it feels like a very heroic moment. And I think the reason it does is because you, you have for, over the course of the movie, you've built up Han as this like sort of renegade. He's like kind of out for himself. He doesn't really, he he's almost like this hero but like lacking morality right where he doesn't he's like making decisions for himself and you're not really sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy and he comes through and the sacrifice there is that he's like okay he's doing something now like no longer for himself like he's giving that part of himself up right and he's doing something for like the greater good or whatever um and he but he's basically he's putting himself in danger he's making a decision that doesn't directly benefit him which is something that's against his normal character right and that's like sort of his sacrifice um sort of like his growth moment so yeah, I think I think sacrifice is a really big part. I think I mentioned growth there at the end. I think that's another big part of the hero story. We expect a hero to start somewhere and grow to be something by the end. We don't expect someone to be a hero from the start. Even Superman has an origin story, you know. So I think that's like a that's a really big part of it. That kind of sums up. I guess uh, morality was the, the one last thing that I had written down that I had brought up briefly is the thing that probably kind of separates heroes from villains sometimes. Um, and I had it written in the. It, it was sort of a sub point to the point that I, that we already sort of talked about of, of the hero making the decision that you hope you would make. And morality kind of plays into that, right? Where you like see the hero make the morally correct decision. 
and you're like, that feels right. That feels good. That's, I, I, I want the hero to do that because I want to sort of like see that in myself. So what makes a hero like interesting? Like the, there are some heroes that I think about that are, aren't super interesting to me, but like in, in your mind, what makes a hero interesting? Yeah, that's a really, it's a really good question. I think it can be really easy to write sort of innate ability as a way to try to make a to try to make a hero interesting and that's an inter- that's like a balance between I want a hero to be skillful, right? I want I don't want them to be like a blundering idiot. Like I want I want them to be good at stuff. Um you don't like Jar Jar? Jar Jar's the best hero of all time. Right, Jar Jar the the hero of the of the prequels. Yeah. Um no. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it just Sith hurts. Lord Jar Jar. Yeah, Sith Lord Jar Jar. Um but yeah, like I want like the hero to be skillful, but I also want them to have to like grow to be skillful i don't want them to just be we've talked about like sort of a vin can sort of approach this in uh, mistborn where it feels sometimes like she can just do anything you know and so sanderson has to be very careful about sort of like walking up vin's power level you know and like and helping her grow and become powerful so that's not just like oh vin just solves all of her problems by being the strongest thing around the best magic wielder around I, I didn't realize it until you just said that, but I think that's why I don't necessarily really relate or enjoy Ray as a hero, Ray mm. from like the the sequels. Oh, absolutely. So, because you know, you you had you had six episodes before before the sequels, so like before episode seven, eight, and nine, which are the most recent Star Wars episodes that were released. Right. And seven, eight, and nine kind of followed the the, the story of a a new Jedi, Ray. And she is just so much more powerful than anything that we've seen before, just in terms of like raw power and strength, which gets explained a little bit in episode nine. But like leading up to that, like, you know, I had all these characters that are related to that, you know, being a Jedi is not easy. Like, you know, you have to have discipline and all of this. And she doesn't necessarily have that. And yet she's still like super powerful. Right. And I... And it's That's frustrating. That's a good point. Like, yeah. it, it is kind of frustrating because it's like, okay, well, I thought that there were rules in place. Right. And yeah, if you compare what, what you're just saying, if you were comparing Ray to Vin, where it's kind of that same thing, where they are both like absurdly powerful, where, you know, that raw power don't know how to wield it necessarily. But the way Sanderson writes that versus the way that it was done in the Star Wars films, Sanderson did that significantly better than I think uh, the, the Star Wars sequels did. Absolutely, yeah. Like, she she does have to train, right? She has to go through, she has to learn, she has to... Like, Luke goes through a training montage, right? And that's, like, why you're okay with Luke being able to fight Vader later. like Because he, like, kind of earned that. You know? And I, I would agree that it feels like Rey doesn't. And I think there's a way to make a character, a hero, have ultra-powerful, like, moments that might seem like they fix a problem, but they're done well. And I think we said we, we spoiled... There, there's three three series right now, at least on our list, that we're okay spoiling. So I'm going to dip into Harry Potter right now. So Harry Potter, third book, towards the very end, I had written down as one of my top hero moments when Harry summons a Patronus for the first time. Yes. Right? And that's, oh, a, that's a chilling, yeah. like, moment when, because he, but it's it's done because it's like, okay, like, Harry's, like, the chosen one. And he, you know, like, it could, it could have come across that way. It could have come across as, like, Harry's the chosen one, so he saves the day. But it doesn't really come across that way in the scene because he expects someone else to have to do it, right? He's, he's sort of in that scene and he's, like, looking for his dad and he expects his dad to be the one that does it. And he has this moment where you can see it sort of, like, crash over him of, like, 
there's no one else. Like I have to be the one that does this. And then he like steps up and, and again, he's been trying to summon a Patronus, like a good one over like the course of the whole book. Right. And so he's been like working towards it. And then when he like achieves it, it's like, yes, like all the, all this work like paid off and you feel like his, his courage come through, you feel his endurance come through. Um, and it just feels right. And you feel good for Harry. And so anyway, I think the, the original, getting back to the original question, what makes, uh, what makes a hero like good? And I think that's, that, that would be one of them. You talking about Harry Potter reminded me of, you know, the heroic scene in, well, there, there are a couple heroic scenes in book seven of Harry Potter, you know, one, you know, Neville, uh, killing Nagini, uh, yeah. to, to make Voldemort actually like vulnerable at that point which you know neville has a great success story i think a success story podcast would be kind of cool or like oh, character cool, arcs yeah. or so, something but one one of the scenes that always hits me is at, at the very end of book seven when harry goes out under the invisibility cloak to confront lord voldemort in the forest and he finds the resurrection stone that's been hidden in the snitch uh from dumbledore and he turns it and he sees you know all these all, all of his loved ones all of his loved right. ones who have passed and I, I like tear up every single time I read or watch this scene when he's making this choice that one of Voldemort or he has to die and he chooses that it's going to be him so that they can go forward and the scene where he's talking to the ghost of his parents and he goes does it hurt yeah. um, and they're like we will be with you like the entire time mm-hmm. and like it it's like it's over you know just like that and he like drops the invisibility cloak and walks out there yeah. like that that's not like the cinematic you know hero scene you know you're not carrying frodo up to mount doom right um but it, it is like it, it's one of those heroic scenes that i think you know lends itself better towards the books than the movies because there's not a lot to like show there mm-hmm. it's all like internal it's an internal choice and I'm glad you brought that up because I had forgotten about that one. I, I also, I really like that as like a heroic scene. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that is the ultimate sacrifice, right? We were talking about sacrifice earlier. Um, and that's what makes that scene so great is that it's not just Harry walking in and blowing up everything and succeeding because he's like this ultra powerful wizard. It's him succeeding because yes, he is a really powerful wizard, but he is a powerful wizard is also willing to sacrifice. I think of in the in the second book we're, we're stuck on Harry Potter right now, but I think of in the <laughs> in the in the second book, um, Neville standing up to his friends. Yeah, right. As or a the first book, is it the first book where they're going down into to get the Sorcerer's Stone, and Neville gets ten points from Dumbledore. Oh yeah, 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 you're right. To okay. break the tie. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he gets ten points from Dumbledore to break the tie. So you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the first book, where Neville like stands up to his friends, and and Dumbledore even has that line where he tells him, and I'm going to butcher it because I don't remember exactly, but it's something like along the lines of it's it's one thing to stand up to your enemies, but it's another thing to stand up to your friends, you know? And and that's sort of the sacrifice. Like Neville's struggling with being awkward, with like, you know, he's struggling to make friendships. He's he, he has all, he's like, he's kind of weird and nerdy and, and, and timid and awkward, but he, he stands up to these guys who he really respects because he thinks they're doing the wrong thing. And then in the end, he's like rewarded for that, right? And so it's this really like tiny little glimpse um, right at the beginning of the of the series, that kind of hooks you into like what what's later going to happen uh, with with sacrifice paying off, right? As a, as a theme in Harry Potter, um, because there are a lot of characters that sacrifice over the course of that, right? You can call Severus Snape a hero in that story. You can call Dumbledore a hero, which you can go back and forth on on either one of those. But there's there's <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of good hero storytelling um, throughout the Harry Potter series that's sort of glimpsed at or 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 teased in the very right there in the very first book. 
there's a reason Neville is a new Gryffindor, right? You, you don't see that in the the first half of the series, but mm-hmm. towards the end, you're like, yep, Neville's a Gryffindor. Absolutely. And there's a reason that Gryffindor is sort of the main house that we hear the story told from, right? Because that is the house of courage, right? Where we think of, again, that is being so closely linked to what a hero is. Yeah. One of the things that I had that, that makes a hero interesting is kind of ties into my icebreaker question. And what an interesting hero to me has an imperfection or imperfections that are interesting. Right. And so like Superman won't hurt anybody. It's also kryptonite, uh, which kryptonite isn't super interesting to me. Right? right. Yeah. It's a pretty bad weakness overall. It's why Superman's always running around trying to find villains that have kryptonite. <laughs> the yeah, story exactly. sounds interesting. <laughs> but like if you can find a hero that, um, ha- has those, and that's why I kind of asked the icebreaker question because I thought I think it's an interesting way to view um, heroes is, is through their weaknesses, and yep. whether that's you know moral or physical shortfallings or comings, like some of them that you know I kind of had written down, like Mistborn, like in, in mm-hmm. the Mistborn series, like Vin, she she is like small in stature. And so her kind of one of her weaknesses is that if she does not have metal to burn, so metal, when you ingest metal, it gives you power. She's pretty much helpless, like at least towards the beginning of the series. Right. Because she relies so much on that metal and um, that when she doesn't have it, when she doesn't have her superpower, she is very vulnerable. The other thing that I really like about Vin, which I like more than, than the metal thing, is that she is so reckless when her friends are in danger that she kind of like throws caution to the wind and like, yeah, it's like this overly like heroic trope that like, you know, she has to protect her friends. But I think Sanderson does it really well where he, he, he writes that where that she like almost like blind rage, like I need to help. I need to, yeah. you know, I need to rescue. I'm, I'm hesitating saying names because I, there, there are some like re- revelations that, it, that right. I right. But like, I would add, um, just because this is an interesting topic, and so I'm interested in um, exploring it a little bit, I, w- I would throw in, I think of uh, Demon Cycle would be an example of this, of a hero that doesn't want to be a hero, right? So a hero that doesn't, maybe also like Kaladin from Storyline Archives might kind of fall into this, where a hero's like, no, like, I just, this is this is me, like, this is what I want to do, I have, like, this mission, and, like, all these other people are expecting all these things of me, um, and I'm not really, like, interested in that. And so it can it can build suspense when you as the reader are like, no, like I can see that the hero is the only person capable of completing like this thing. It's just not on what they define as their own mission. So they're not willing to. And all these people are trying to like convince them to or whatever. Um, and so that comes out in like in Demon Cycle when um, and I'm going to say like spoiler free here. But whenever the the main character who's like the warded man who is very much like a loner, very like all on, off on his own, um, whenever his mission and his like relationships that he's sort of building and growing into allow him to step outside of that selfishness and sacrifice his own safety, sacrifice his own, even his own mission, you know, sacrifice what he wants for the, for the benefit of people that he's like growing to care about. And that's kind of where his growth is coming from. It's not necessarily because like all of his power growth happens like very quickly in the first book. And after that, he's pretty much at the same power level and all of his growth later comes from his growth, like in relationships and kind of overcoming that weakness of selfishness. One of the other uh, characters or heroes that I want to kind of bring up is Ender from Ender's Game. Oh yeah, I, I and as I was doing my research, I think I, I I realized that I I enjoy heroes where their imperfections play off of their strengths, 
And, and I okay. think that is very true with Ender in the sense that one, like Ender doesn't really have any superpowers, right? He, he's just a hyper-intelligent individual. And that his, his weakness is that he's a hyper-intelligent individual yeah. and he doesn't necessarily have the social skills needed yeah, to, to, lead. to build, to, to lead. And so he, uh, he ha- he has that. The other thing that you know he has is that he has a very hard time kind of controlling himself mm-hmm. at sometimes, and so that that can be a weakness where it's like you know show no mercy um, is kind of a common theme in the book where yeah. there there are things that happen, things go poorly or could have gone better if Ender had shown restraint. Yeah, and I think that is an interesting way because you kind of see how throughout the book how he as a Ender is a good person. He, he right. genuinely good person, and how he deals with the the imperfections, or when he finds out that something went terribly wrong because of his actions, and how he deals with that, mm-hmm. and how he overcomes that. Yeah, I, yeah. And I think as a spoiler free as possible, I know it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, but I think like as a reader, you're kind of wanting that, right? Because you're you're looking at yourself and saying, you know, I have weaknesses. Like I have shortcomings. I would expect a hero to as well, or at least I'm willing to entertain that. Um, so displaying these weaknesses and creating these weaknesses allows the author to create introspection and growth within the hero, right? So that they're going to overcome these things, but also they have to have a moment and that's where it can kind of, that, that's where it becomes interesting where it's like, okay, I'm going to like recognize this weakness in myself and how to, how to take advantage of it, how to like work around it, how to, how to grow through it or past it. Uh, we've talked about Light, Lightbringer series a lot. And Kip, the, one of the main characters, and that has a really interesting hero weakness in that he, in that it's self-confidence, right? That he has very low self-confidence, but that that's like justified. It's brought about from a childhood of abuse, and so there's, um, there's a, there's a very legitimate reason to why he lacks self-confidence, and and his physique, like he he starts off as like this really fat kid, and so when I started reading that, I was like, oh, that's kind of like a like a cheap weakness, right? I was like, oh, he's fat now, he's gonna grow to be strong, and then he'll be strong at the end, like da da, now he's a hero. Um, when I started out, I was kind of like dismissing it because of that. But even after he is strong, he allows his self, his lack of self-confidence and his, and his self-doubt to really cripple him like well into the later books, even when he's, when he's no longer limited by that because he's sort of, his psyche has almost been poisoned by that. And it comes, it comes about that it's sort of like, that's his real weakness. It was never about the weight, you know, of him being fat. It was about the, the self-doubt and the self-loathing and the lack of confidence and that sort of thing that he has to like sort of grow through. So the capstone of like this conversation is I wanted to kind of end with some of our favorite heroes or maybe our favorite hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've already given mine, which the one that I had written down was Sam from from Lord of the Rings. And yeah. I, I kind of already spoiled that one earlier because it, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah. But Dalton, who are some of your favorite heroes? Yeah, I would have to say that I've already kind of talked through as well my favorite hero, which I, I would probably list as Aang from from Avatar. And we've already, we've already hit on that, so I don't want to, I don't want to like, harp on that one for too long but just note that that's my that's my favorite so yeah you and i both are going to be talking through like probably our second and third favorites or something like that and i'm worried actually for a second here that i'm going to be stuck a little bit on anime since avatar is an animated show if not actually anime but i think a lot you know there's there's a running theme especially in like shonen type animes where the hero the relationship that the hero has with their very very close friends is extremely important and so i find that for me that is an extremely important characteristic in a hero so i kind of i kind of loop back to Again, because I watch a lot of of like, especially like the long animes, like One Piece and Bleach and Naruto and all. Like I've watched through through all those shows, Fairy Tale. So the two that come to mind immediately would be uh, Luffy 
from One Piece who is very dedicated to his to his crew, to his closest friends, and he actually makes like a very careful distinction in the show between characters which he like, he he will have like di- he has different words for different basically levels of friendship that portray different levels of loyalty for him. With the highest being his crew that he is like ultimately loyal to, and willing to make extreme sacrifices for. And so I just I think I really like again we talk about like a hero being someone that you aspire to be or at least has characteristics that you aspire aspire to emulate and so that one comes home for me also maybe like Aaron from uh, Attack on Titan a little bit although he like he's more driven by his mission than like strictly his friendships but it has some of those some of those same ties with which I really like um I have I have, a, I have at least one more that I want to share but I want to give you an opportunity to, go, to share before I do yeah and before I share I will say that I think anime does lend itself to this because I think you said it very briefly but a very common theme in anime is the hero story. For right? sure. So for similar to, you know, the fantasy, but like anime has this crazy, powerful, awesome, and it can do the cinematic effect as well. Where, so I, I, I'm not surprised that there are a lot of animated, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, heroes, heroes that, that are coming out. So the, the one other one that I had written down, uh, is from the Pendragon series, which we've talked about before. So Bobby Pendragon, is not the hero that I'm thinking about, but it's the one that I can talk about. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that makes yep. sense. Yeah. So the uh, so Bobby Pendragon, you know, is I think he's about ten years old when he gets pulled from uh, from his world to go rescue and help other like dimensions and worlds to turn good. So at the turning point, the world's either going to turn good or evil, and Bobby's goal is to push it towards good, and. Uh, talk about sacrifice right like he right. shows up the or like this is the very first episode so he shows up uh bobby finally gets to kiss the love of his life or the biggest crush that he's ever had he's about to go play in like the biggest basketball game of his life and his uncle shows up and goes bobby someone needs your help and bobby drops it all and leaves basically the best day of his life to yep. go help someone else which i think is cool i think it but also the coolest might be his here day. If I remember. Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the coolest hero in that story, I think, is Mark. Mm-hmm. And Mark is the is the friend that Bobby chooses to write all of his adventures to. And Mark is that the support character. Um, he's always sitting there. He's supporting Bobby in his endeavors. But I can't talk about it. But Mark has the quickest exponential ramp to hero ever, and that's in the tenth book. Yeah. It's and very like true. Mark goes from like this like guy who just eats carrots in the bathroom all day to like this super crazy i can't say anymore but like yeah yeah very yeah zero to hero hercules style. zero yeah. to hero yeah zero yeah. to hero just like toward yeah so mark zero to hero style he like from the from book one to you know later in the series there's not much change but it changes very quickly and i really like Mark's very rapid development into what I would consider a hero status. Yeah. And I've always thought that in that series, he did a really good job with those two characters in that, in the first book. And when I say two characters, I mean the two characters who are reading Bobby Pendragon's journals, which would be Mark and Courtney. And they do a really slow, but like intentional ramp in like involvement. Um, Because the 10th book isn't the first time that they become involved, like in Bobby's kind of story. But it's done like very slowly over the whole series, so that by the time you get to the tenth book and they are like fully involved, it's not like really surprising. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a great choice. Um, the last one that I had on my list when you asked me that question, I started thinking about it. Um, I already mentioned Kaladin, 
from the Stormlight, Stormlight Ar- archives. Um, but as I think through that, I think he exhibits a lot of the traits specifically that I've listed are really important to me, like extreme loyalty to friends. Um, he becomes, he exhibits higher levels of power typically when it is, when his motivation is driven by sacrifice for others, like right, protecting others and that sort of thing. All of a sudden he kind of gets these and it, it, it's tied into how the magic system works. Um, so there's like a reason for it. Uh, but the feeling that you get is that when he's sort of strung out, he's done all he can, he's been trying to protect his friends and he does kind of like that, you know, he's like beaten up and, and pushed down and kind of dragging himself along. And he does that like final reach of for power so that he can have like just enough to save his friends and he like touches it and it's there and it's like the magic system is kind of there for him and so it creates these really satisfying moments where you're like okay that was that was really cool stormlight archives are written kind of mostly they're they're from a third person limited and it'll shift through different characters um but the books will kind of focus on one character we talked about this a little bit i think in the narration episode and kaladin is the first book it's focused on him right yeah yes that is correct yeah yeah the the first there, there's like a chapter from a different perspective and then it switches to Kaladin, which got really confusing there for a little bit yeah but but the entirety of the first book is dedicated to Kaladin. right 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 and it'll switch to like other people's perspectives but for the most part you're hearing from Kaladin, and his that's really cool because you're learning about the magic system in the first book right like you're that's where you're kind of as a reader getting exposed to it and Kaladin sort of is also and so you kind of like learn that alongside him which i really like he's also really tied to self-sacrifice there's a lot of of that going on. And then he also has that part, which I talked about earlier, which is that he doesn't really want to be the hero necessarily, but his friends kind of need him to be. And so he kind of steps up to it. And so I, I just, I really like Kaladin as a, as a hero character. Yeah. And a protagonist. He, he, he fits all of that where For sure. he, he's, he's a fun read. It, it's a, it's a fun, good read uh, throughout the entirety of that series, but especially the first book. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you have anything else that you want to bring up on this topic or we want to wrap this thing up? I think we can wrap it up. We've, we've gotten through the majority of things that I, that I kind of wanted to be able to share tonight. So it's been a, it's been a good dis- discussion. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed this discussion. I'm, I'm happy with where it's gone. So if you, uh, if you had any thoughts, comments, or disagreed or agreed and just wanted to talk with us, reach out to us on social media. So we're, we're pretty much anywhere at this point that I can think of. I'm sure there are social <laughs> medias that we're not on. And if you want us to be on there, just, as long as it doesn't cost money, we'll probably sign up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so we're, we are on Facebook. We're Fantasy and Some Flights. Our Twitter handle is at and some flights. You can find us on Instagram or our uh, website, fantasyandsomeflights.com, or just a plain old regular Gmail, uh, fantasyandsomeflights at gmail.com. So send us thoughts, uh, questions anything like that what we're really looking forward to is getting some more of these icebreaker questions so we have uh, a good amount of like board game icebreaker questions that have been submitted not so many book ones so we we read off i think the only book icebreaker question that we have but if you have a icebreaker question or something that i i consider transformers an icebreaker question yeah a book yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) i think i think it felt dalton gave me a weird look when i said that (laughs) i I classified i classified that one more as a book than a board game that's true it is (laughs) more a book than a board game yeah it's media i'll I'll leave it at that yeah but if you if you have one of those uh shoot us an email or uh email is probably going to be the best the other the other really good one which is a little bit harder to navigate to is on instagram if you go to our profile page there's going to be a little 
button that says like it's going to have like episodes icebreaker questions and then the third one of those three buttons will be submit a question mm-hmm. and so you can do that and there, there's going to be a little text box you just type it in there we get a notification that you've responded but basically i you know i just i don't read it i just look to see if it's something if it's not spam and then i i read it out or we'll we'll read it out on a future episode and yeah. so we've got a couple of those that we'll we'll be diving into in the next couple episodes so i'm excited about that yeah but and then yeah for sure and that's something i'm really excited for is uh because that is sort of like the true icebreaker right where like both of us are totally unprepared for it um the other thing you know with this being the 10th episode um you guys have started to kind of get a feel for what like who we are and what we're about the you know the books we like the board games we like um and and kind of this structure for the podcast what would start to be helpful now is any sort of feedback that you have of hey, you know, I would I would love to hear you guys talk more in this way or about more about these types of topics. You know, hey, I, I struggled to relate to this part of this podcast or or I really got into it. just giving us any sort of, you know, positive or constructive feedback on how we're doing and the things that you're enjoying and the things that you're relating to. Um, because we'd love the opportunity to, to uh, review that and be able to to grow from it. Um, like I said, we're ten episodes in now, so you should have kind of a, a good picture for for what we're about. Um, but we'd love to be able to kind of grow into a podcast that, that you as a listening base are wanting to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things about this, like I, I knew I was going to really enjoy just talking to you about this kind of stuff. Well, yeah. What what I have really enjoyed is interacting with the listeners, which I, I did not expect that I, I would be, you know, enjoying it as much as I am. So yeah, I, I do really like to hear feedback or we like to hear feedback and we like to, you know, interact with, with you all, talk to you guys, figure out what you guys are reading, what your board games are. But if that's all, then I think we're going to sign off. So cheers, buddy. Cheers. Cheers.